Welcome, Jurassic fans, to the 175th episode of your Rather Nerd podcast. I'm Daniel, your host, and now the only person with a more infectious laughter than Jeff Goblin, Joshua Bowser. <laughs> How's it going? Yeah, man, it's great to have you here. You know, I've been watching so much of your stuff, and seriously, there is a lot of interesting stuff about dinos, but I love your laughter. <laughs> Everybody says I have an infectious laugh. Yeah. And um, it's funny, we were at the museum yesterday, and there's a back room to the museum that's kind of like the, the lounge for the employees. Oh, cool. And I'm sitting there with my brother, because uh, his wife also works at the same museum. Um, and we were just reminiscing about life and being a child in the 90s. And, and I was just, I guess we were both just laughing so much. And then once they closed the museum, all the volunteers came in the back and they were like, hey, man, like, we could hear you laugh, like down by the by the interception desk and whatnot. And I was just dying. Like, oh, I'm so sorry, guys. We were, I guess we were just having too good of a time, you know? <laughs> I don't mean, like, what's the problem if someone in the museum hears it? Right. I mean, it's just yeah, I, I, hopefully, hopefully it was juvial laughter and they didn't think the place was haunted or something. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, uh, the, that's the that's the catch 22, right? Pretty night in the museum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. That's great. Yeah. You see, I was about uh, to ask you to introduce yourself to the community here. So uh, what do you what is your expertise? Uh, what do you do? Yeah, so um, I, my expertise is twofold because uh, I'm uh, I'm an overachiever. Uh, <laughs> so um, initially, I do visual effects for Hollywood uh, and art and design. I'm classically trained. I have my bachelor's, um, and I've been on television, film. Uh, we just did a stream with another artist where we were. We're officially, non-officially a part of Jurassic Park licensing. So oh. we've worked on the license in some degree. Uh, so me specifically, it was, was, it was through a partnership with Chronicle Collectibles uh, through our organization, JPX, formerly known as, and you can, you can see the shirt barely, uh, Jurassicon. So that this is our little logo. Look at that. Uh, these are our crew t-shirts that we have for when we do our exhibits. We have to get new t-shirts now, though, because we change the name and um the other half of it is uh, i'm a scientific illustrator as well so uh, i work in the fields of paleontology and archaeology uh so we're both alan grant and indiana jones and um i worked with museums uh do a lot of illustrations scientific reconstructions exhibit installations we just finished an exhibit with the current museum we're working with which is a museum of indigenous people in uh, Prescott, Arizona. And uh, yeah, it's just a lot of fun doing all that crazy stuff. I try to sleep in between. <laughs> Is there anything related to that that you haven't done? Because, wow, so much stuff. I know. I, I wanted, I, as a kid, I wanted to get into Egyptology, but I think I'm just too well in my years to, uh, to explore that avenue so i'm kind of settling in north america with uh, north american archaeology which is which is still a lot of fun yeah i can only imagine man that's just awesome and you see it's just so stupid that I invited a person like you with so much expertise to talk about designs but let's do it <laughs> so. maybe we can jump around subjects <laughs> I'm, I'm perfectly fine with it <laughs> i go yeah i mean most of the jurassic fans uh, community is uh, already used to this you know we invite uh, paleontologists and doctors i mean the crew here right i mean i'm a teacher um, larissa is a psychologist matthew's a veterinarian and yet here we are talking about memes so <laughs> let's see what we can cover about that and so especially this month it's still jurassic junior guys so there's mm. still Time for, for us to celebrate a little bit, huh? So are you celebrating Jurassic June in any special way? You're doing something? We're currently, uh, so I had to finish this. I don't know if you can see it too well, but it's our official report. Um, so it has all these like fun numbers and photos and all our stats and whatnot. So the yeah. reason why we're doing any of this, and that's a picture of me working on the T-Rex right there. Uh, so the only reason we're doing this is we're actually starting to pitch uh, for a gallery uh, showing 
because initially we were doing shows in back in Los Angeles with the Natural History Museum, and then COVID hit, yeah. uh, and then everything went dead. Uh, and then we were invited to do a show last year with Natural History Museum, but because of COVID still being a thing in 2022, it was very limited capacity. They only had one day to do the show, and logistically, we just couldn't afford to transport a one one scale t-rex head to downtown los angeles for one day and then move it back to our storage it, it was just a logistical nightmare uh so now that it's 2023 uh we're going to be looking towards trying to do more shows in arizona which which seems random but the artist one of the original stan winston artists who worked on the t roberta the t-rex or jurassic park the first film lives in arizona so we're going to try to see if we could reach out to him to get him a part of the show if if we do end up uh, getting it off the ground but beyond that we've been doing fun little projects like uh our what if series and a series of interviews uh so the what if series is uh what if we got merch that we actually wanted for the 30th anniversary uh, versus uh, we're, all the fandom kind of feels like this 30th is kind of a cash grab, sadly, um, with the branding and everything. So we're kind of just looking back at all the cool stuff we got in the 90s. And we just talk about like, what if we got a 30th anniversary series two of that really sweet lithograph set with all the Stan Winston's uh, and Crash McCurry art? Really easy to produce, really cheap. What if we got that? Or what if we got a series two of the Horizon model kits from Jurassic Park that were released back in the day? Uh, we have two more what ifs, including I'm working on one right now. Uh, so we're just kind of doing this as a fun little like, you know, think process. I, I doubt any of this stuff will get done, but, you know, you, <laughs> you never know. You put it out in the universe. You never know. Yeah, but you know, I just love to see that you guys are doing something because, uh, um a few fans in the community have been dumping on us for so many years, right? That Jurassic should be more accurate. And yet, here you guys are, those who actually got the precise knowledge, helping Universal in a way. Because all the Universal really did was, you know, put the original JP to play again on some theaters and nothing else. You guys yeah. do so much more than Universal. And that's just no, amazing. And, and, yeah, and it's not to, um, again... I talked with uh, our previous interview. I talked with an artist named Robert Miranda, uh, who was an extra in Jurassic World. Oh. And uh, he's also an unofficial official artist with the license. Um, and uh, we we talked about like, we talked about how studios work, how they function. And a lot of people think that there's one guy at the top of the mountain that just kind of tells everybody like this is what we're going to do for these movies for their anniversary and and the truth is there is no one guy like just the theme parks universal theme parks each ride has its own manager there's like many heads to the hydra so to speak as far as who runs what so if we had to guess because the 25th anniversary there was like a lot more that was done we had like panels and events at the theme parks and Jeff Goldblum came down and did a panel and Laura Dern and all these actors. Uh, so for the 30th to come by and then, and it was just quiet. <laughs> it, we're pretty positive. It was just kind of a change in management. Somebody left their job during COVID and someone new came in and sadly it's a lot more younger uh, shoot from the hip marketers and stuff. And uh, they sadly don't really uh, care about this kind of stuff. And it's, it's sad. Yeah. But it like it's definitely not an excuse to kind of bang at Universal Door and be like, "Why did you screw up so badly?" <laughs> it's it's more so just kind of getting it out there in social media and showing these new execs who don't care or new marketing people or whatnot that there is very much still a core fandom for the original films, the original Stan Winston Studio trilogy, if you will. Um, and I think that's why we're doing it very low-key. If you notice, all of our posts aren't really bashing anything. The only thing we complain about is they don't use Roberta for any of the 30th anniversary merch. They they use the new J-World art Bible, which that model of Rexy is not the original Roberta. It's very obvious to see. 
And we even did an interview with InGen FX, who's another great uh, Jurassic Park artist out of Germany. And we spent like a whole hour just talking logistics uh, because we're the guys that are obsessed looking at every little scale and stripe and detail because we have to. Like, that's what you're trained to do as a classical artist. You're trained to look at all those little details uh, versus the casual fan doesn't notice those details. But when you have to build a, a T-Rex head, uh, screen accurate you start seeing all those little details that not a lot of people see because you know you're just having to do that work and so when we saw the 30th anniversary banners and vinyl wraps at universal studios we were just like oh that, that's nice but it really it would have really been great if you used the stan winston studio dinosaurs <laughs> you know the original stan winston studio creatures uh, and man, that's so basic you know we're celebrating the 30th anniversary of jurassic park and not like the what is it the eighth anniversary of a jurassic world for god's sake yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> has it been eight years oh my god yeah <laughs> i feel so old <laughs> i feel like i blinked and yesterday these movies came out <laughs> yeah oh god and yet we still had that uh, hiatus you know the 14 year hiatus uh, yeah still something to consider so you add those numbers and you feel like a bloody dinosaur yourself so, yeah, yeah you do you really do <laughs> <laughs> oh man you know for uh this jurassic june we in our podcast we're doing a pretty special uh a project we already mentioned how each one of us became a jurassic fan and then we asked the fans they sent in so many stories about uh, what happened oh. to them how they became a jurassic fan so what is your story Oh man, I, I was so I, I'm known as uh, I'm I'm from a generation known as Gen X. Uh, Gen X comes before Gen Y, and then the Millennial generation. Um, so as a Gen Xer, I I had a fascination with dinosaurs that dates back to the '80s. Uh, it dates back to a series of documentaries that were done with uh, two actors called Eric, uh, Eric Boardman and Gary Owens. Uh, Gary Owens is the voice actor for like, or was the voice actor because he passed away, I think, in 2017. Mm -hmm. And uh, Gary Owens is the voice actor for um, Space Ghost and Rocket Ramjet and all these old cartoons from like the Hanna-Barbera era. And uh, we, I grew up on those dinosaur documentaries. And I grew up with the Phil Tippett, the Phil Tippett uh, Prehistoric Beasts dinosaur documentaries with, with Christopher Reeve who played Superman um, and then Phil Tippett would end up going to work on Jurassic Park initially because Jurassic Park was going to be stop motion animation originally and um, when I was diagnosed with cancer because I was diagnosed at the end, age of 10 I'm a cancer survivor um, my friend John McClish were, uh, was at the VA and he was a friend of my father's and they knew i loved dinosaurs and so the va got an advance cut of the film to screen for the the veterans hospital and they could very few va people could sneak people into the theater and like this really top balcony area uh and john tried to sneak me and my father in and he succeeded so I was 10 years old when the film got released in theaters back in 1993. And I saw it. I saw an advanced cut, which is hilarious because there's scenes that I saw at 10 that I remember so vividly that did not make the theatrical cut or, or the DVD release. But they were still recorded in things like the Topps Jurassic Park comic books or the junior novelizations of the films, those little script caps are still in there. And I was like, oh my God, I know those. I, I know I wasn't going crazy. It wasn't the Mandela effect. I do remember those scenes very vividly. Uh, so that jump-started my whole love of Jurassic Park, really. Like that that 10-year-old kid watching in the balcony at the Veterans Hospital through this little tiny pinhole. There was like five of us that were squashed in there and uh, we all just had a ball. We were all just watching this film. We were all just mesmerized. And it just, it, it felt like you were watching a documentary. That's the thing. People don't realize now, because visual effects are so easily slapped on things, 
how yeah. special that film really was back in 93. There were very few films that reached that degree of realism, bringing extinct animals back to life. It did not exist. There was, there was no prehistoric planet. There was no walking with dinosaurs even. It was all Jurassic Park. And not only was Jurassic Park the first film to do it, it was the most, the first film was the most heavily supervised by a team of paleontologists. Uh, there was like a team of three to four paleontologists on that film because Spielberg was so obsessed with not making a monster movie, but making a dinosaur movie with creatures that look like animals, not not like, you know, well, sadly, what we have now with the hybrids and whatnot. <laughs> Lando's last seals have been a bit rough. And, uh, you know, just those documentaries that you mentioned, right? What great times we have nowadays with a prehistoric planet and not dinosaur with Stephen Fry looking at you, but everything... I like the Stephen. You know, I like Stephen Fry because it's it's a bit of nostalgia. <laughs> <laughs> People don't realize like you can talk about Stephen Fry all you want, but that was like cutting edge back in the day. Uh, if Stephen Fry, if Steve, the Stephen Fry special is like a capsule at a time. Now the bar is pretty high when it comes to visual effects and rendering and stuff like that. But you show that special like just 10 years ago, it would have been fantastic. <laughs> yeah, but you know, things like, uh, you know, showing grass in uh, some periods of time where it hadn't uh, you know, been there yet. So kind of things that even for like people who knew that back in the day, because I guess we know about the we already knew about the time that grass emerged on planet Earth, right? So uh, stupid kind of things like that. But yeah, sure. Back in '93, if that had been a thing, sure, we all would have been impressed just as much <laughs> as we were with JP. Of well, course. funny enough, my my favorite dinosaur documentary to this day, other than the Eric Boardman and Gary Owens documentaries, um, is still Phil Tippett's prehistoric beats oh, with that one. christopher reeve and there's something about it that just like i, I want to say what i'd like to see in a dinosaur documentary is to kind of embrace the antiquity of it because we get all these new documentaries with like you know they, they call it minimalism designs even the museums are kind of moving away from all the cool Victorian era furniture and these really elaborate, like the display cases themselves were also a piece of art along with the skeleton mounts. Now they're all very simple with like pained glass and like really weird lobby hotel design aesthetic. And I, I tell people I would like to see the museums embrace their antiquity because that's part of the charm. Like the reason why people visit the Sistine Chapel isn't because it's updated to show modern art. They visit the Sistine Chapel because it's a work of art itself. Like there's intricate carvings on, it's not just the paintings on the chapel, it's the chapel itself that's also part of that appeal. And that's why I tell people like, I love that museums in Paris haven't changed at all you can still walk through those old wooden halls and see all those old skeleton mounts and those great like big giant wall cases behind glass that don't exist anymore i love that stuff and so for a dinosaur documentary what i'd like to see is actually a return to antiquity i would love to see a full stop motion animation uh documentary on dinosaurs Models would be scientifically accurate, of course, but I would love to see a return to the like the Phil Tippett prehistoric beast documentary. That would be phenomenal. Even get Phil Tippett on it if you can. You know, <laughs> like, wow, the that, guy's still a, doing Star Wars. <laughs> that'd be a great feature, mate. Imagine yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. There's my pitch, worlds. Make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. All righty. And now I've been beating around the bush a little bit, but uh, I know your opinion on uh, certain movies of the franchise. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we got to consider that. So, as I said, the original was all about being animalistic, you know, uh, these dinosaurs as they were seen back in the 90s. Of course, comparing that to what we see nowadays, they're not the most accurate, but. And then we have the whole story about. Uh, 
Spielberg looking at the model that they had projected for the Velociraptor and going, make it bigger. This doesn't sound as threatening as it should. But then again, can you like uh, scientifically analyze and criticize? It still is a Jurassic fan, of course. No need to, no, just uh, bait on it, uh, the original designs. No, actually, I, I, that's the thing. Like my hot take, want a hot take, um, is the designs still hold up, even from a scientific perspective. Um, because they do like Jurassic Park did a lot of predictions that not a lot of people realize uh the velociraptors were scaled up because Spielberg wanted them to be more menacing but it wasn't until a few years later that they ended up discovering Utah Raptor they, they yeah. predicted the giant uh Dynanikid you know Deck Horner said like, that that stuck up arrogant man yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like, how do you have a movie that's meant for entertainment based off a book, Michael Crichton, and it predicts the discovery of a new dinosaur? It, it predicted the discovery of Utah Raptor. That was like, it just blew my mind. Um, because that's the thing. People nowadays that, are, that weren't born back in the 90s uh, don't realize Utah Raptor was not around that long. I think the discovery dates back to like 94, 95. And they finally like realized like oh we did have a dinosaur that was as big as the jp velociraptor it was the utah raptor um so like the fact that those little nuggets were planted in this entertainment movie from universal which again it's not meant to be a documentary i think the reason people treat it like a documentary as far as scientific accuracy is a testament to the film like it's a testament to what spielberg wanted to achieve he wanted to give you real dinosaurs and here we are 30 years later complaining about the realistic dinosaurs that don't look realistic enough the guy accomplished his job like well done spielberg you know <laughs> totally. bloody hero so, it, it's funny like it's it's funny when you look at it from that perspective but it's like yeah here we are like even, even the triceratops um the design that they did at Stan Winston Studios, it has these big old giant like scoots on its rump, these big scales. And then sure enough, I, I talked to uh, the Black Hills Institute with Pete Larson recently in Tucson, and they have Lane the Trike's skin impressions. And lo and behold, it has these giant rectangular rosette scale, like this big, scales that big on this thing. And I'm like, all right, well, score two for Jurassic Park as far as predicting the future of paleontology. So, like, I can go into other examples, but it's like, again, I, I talked with Robert, and um, we talked about how it's become chic nowadays for younger kids to kind of bash on this film and not realize how much it did for paleontology or even the sciences. Like, nobody, nobody had seen warm-blooded dinosaurs in that capacity till 1993 it kick-started the dinosaur revolution the jurassic park institute is a thing and what it does is it pays for grants for people who want to pursue the field of paleontology every paleontologist that i've ever interviewed and i've interviewed a few in our channel we talk about jurassic park because we have the guest questions where people can pop up and ask us questions and one of the questions that always pops up is like, what do you think about Jurassic World? And it's funny because they don't talk about Jurassic World. They talk about Jurassic Park and they talk <laughs> yeah. about how much they love it <laughs> and how much it inspired them as kids. Um, Emily Keeble, who's known as Dynanicus Floof uh, on Instagram, she's huge about Dynanicus. It's her, it's her favorite dinosaur. Uh, she loves feathers. But you ask her about Jurassic Park and she's like, oh, I love the Jurassic Park Velociraptors. That was my whole childhood. And it's like, see, when a movie can do that for paleontology, I think the rest of the world has to back up and be like, hey, maybe building a foundation on the hate isn't the way to go. Maybe we start embracing the things we love about this franchise because those things that we love still inspire people to pursue the sciences. Um it was because of Jurassic Park that I myself got involved with the museums. And now we're doing conservation for archaeology, um, which is 
Uh, but it wouldn't have been possible without that seed planted from this film that came out like 30 years ago. And, and I think that's the more important message moving forward, you know? Yeah, yeah totally. You see, uh, and it's just uh, so funny to think about that because, uh, as you said, so many experts nowadays, people who actually deal with the science related to dinosaurs, right? They've been telling us that they, uh, you know, the whole love for this field originated from one of the movies. And sometimes it's like JP3 that is more commonly hated by the whole community, which, you know, I'm one of those people who is actually okay with JP3. I don't love it. But Fallen Kingdom, that is also commonly hated, that's my guilty pleasure. I absolutely love that <laughs> freak of a movie. <laughs> you know. No, you do you, man. I, I like stuff about the Jurassic World. I mean, let, let, let's, let, let me practice what I preach. I just said, let's embrace the love. So I'm going to embrace the love. As far as the Jurassic World franchise as a whole, there's dinosaur designs that I do love. I, I love the Dimorphodons in the first film. They're so weird and kooky, <laughs> and they're like little gremlins. And I love that whole sequence. Um, I love the Mosasaur. That 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 crazy bastard was amazing to see jumping out of the pond and eating sharks. Um, and it's also in the book. There is a Tylosaurus that's in the Jurassic Park book. Um, and then I love the. Um, uh, Fallen Kingdom, they finally brought the Carnotaurus. The Carnotaurus was a fan favorite since, like, The Lost World. And it only ever made appearances in, like, the video game, the arcade video game. And they finally brought the Carnotaurus to see, to film. And it's, like, one of the... Of all the dinosaurs, of all the new dinosaurs from Jurassic World, I gotta say that Carnotaurus is probably the most handsome. Um... And probably the most scientific accurate of the entire franchise <laughs> as far as Jurassic World. It's it's the most beautiful design. And um, I'm really digging it. Uh, so there are things I do love about Jurassic World, but they are more on the design aesthetic. Uh, it's not so much like the story. I, I can't get on board with the story. Um, yeah. You know, but, but at the same time, it's a popcorn flick. You know, like Jurassic Park 3 is a popcorn flick. The story is a cobbled mess. And the reason why is because they never even had a, a finished script to do Jurassic World. I mean, a, a Jurassic Park 3. There was no finished script. In fact, there was a podcast called... Um, are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> so there's a podcast called, like, This is a Shit Show. And it talks about the shit show that is making a movie. Um, and they go into both good movies and bad movies because it turns out making movies is a headache like it's a ridiculous endeavor it's a miracle we even get a movie made and they go into the production about jurassic park 3 and the the joke was the crew gift that the crew would get at the end of the production would be a finished script because there was no finished script in fact they even mentioned like jurassic park 3 the ending looks very choppy and sudden it's because they didn't have an ending like they legit just had to make it up as they went. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah, you know, the only thing that really gets me sad about that is that there was so much that could have been done. You know, you read uh, the, the Lost World, of course, and you know that they are on the island, exactly the same place. And there's so much that is explored because they found the, uh, the labs and Malcolm was like, all right, let me tell you a story. Because soon I'll be high on drugs, so let me tell you before I'm laying out. Yeah, because <laughs> that's what Malcolm does in the books. All right, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he turns into. It's funny because there's an interview with uh, Michael Crichton, I believe. And uh, Michael Crichton uh, was a mathematician. Um, there's a photo of Michael Crichton, and he looks like he's dressed just like Jeff Goldblum before the movies even existed. He just looks like Jeff Goldblum. And so they interviewed Mike, Michael, and they said, like, hey, um, which character do you most empathize with in this book series? And he said, like, oh, I, I empathize with the Ian Grant character. And then later he interviewed again when he finished The Lost World. And he's like, yeah, that was kind of me during this whole process. Like, I just felt like I was going through the motions and I was over it. And so sure enough, if you read the book, it seems like Ian's just drunk off morphine. And he's like, I'm just going to wrap this story up because Steven Spielberg wanted a sequel and I never planned to write a sequel. So here's the sequel. You know? <laughs> yeah. And so it, the book does feel very much like it's it's a 
the the first book feels like it's a labor of love the second book feels like it's like an obligation like going to a family <laughs> reunion or something like that. <laughs> and you still have managed to do a whole lot i remember people saying that it's, it looks like an incomplete story like you, you got a, a whole lot of dinosaurs right there are things that of course are a bit depressing like the animals are dying and that's yeah. what that was like a Crichton trying to get revenge on having to write a story he didn't want to. <laughs> so he created this whole universe and he tried to destroy it, but money would not allow it because no, 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 no. It was too successful. Yeah. He, he created a, he created something. I don't think he knew people were going to love so much yeah. and how much of an influence in the field of science it was going to be. So it did very much outgrow this, fiction novel that he just wanted to kind of do um and again it's a testament to his tradecraft uh but i think michael as an as an artur uh, just wanted to kind of move on with his career and he did he did a number of novels after he did jurassic park um but it was definitely one of those things where michael was like i, I i'm ready to move on and so he kind of wrote the books to kind of be just done with it. I kind of wish we got a third book from him. The closest thing we get is the Dragon Teeth novel, which goes over the Bone Wars uh, during a, a colonial America. But um, I do wish he kind of recognized what it had become, and he just kind of settled in like, let's do a third book, because you know what? At least they would have had an ending for the script for Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the... Would have some source material to copy from, right? Yeah, <laughs> which they did do. Like uh, the best scenes in Jurassic Park three are all from the book. Like the the Pteranodon attack and the aviary, that's from the first book. Same thing with the riverboat scene. It's a T Rex that's chasing Lex and Tim on a raft, and they just put the Spinosaurus on the boat with Alan Grant and the rest of the buffoons. <laughs> and um, it's the best scene in the movie. Like it, it's just so dynamic and crazy. And it's edge of your teeth. And, and if you edit out the dumb parts with the baby watching Barney, it's even better. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, Matt Millen is not here today. He's one of our co-hosts, but uh, he's a great defender of that movie. And <laughs> I'm so glad that there are people you know, who defend these uh, movies that are generally hated on by the major part of the community. Because no, Fallen Kingdom has me. And apparently only me, so I guess it's only fair. Right? <laughs> no, you, you love what you love, man. You know, yeah. like we're we're all about love here, and 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 you know, bringing the community together. I will say, I think the JP three community kind of bonded with the original JP community once the J World film started getting released. <laughs> yeah, like I'm kind of in. The, yeah, now I'm kind of in the same camp, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you know, it was something like, you know, you're bad, but they're worse. So come here. Let's yeah. unite. And, and, yeah, my acceptance of JP3 is purely from an artistic perspective. Like, I, I tell people the only reason I rank Jurassic World below Jurassic Park 3 is design aesthetic. Like, it had Stan Winston's when he was still alive. Um, it's the last Stan Winston Jurassic Park movie. It's the last film that Spielberg had his fingers in. Um, and that's why I call it kind of the Stan Winston trilogy, because those are the three films Stan Winston worked on uh, before he passed away back in, I think, 2008. Um, so it's one of those things where it's like the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park 3 just look better. Like Jurassic Park 3 has my favorite design of the raptors. I think uh, Laura Legends calls the design. Well, we actually call the design Quilliam. Uh, that's the Quilled Raptors, unofficially named Quilliam by the, the JP community. And we told Laura Legends that. And she's like, oh, my God, Quilliam. I love that name. <laughs> because, you know, not too many people know about the secret name of Quilliam in Jurassic Park 3. Um, and Quilliam is one of my favorite raptor designs. Um, the Spinosaurus design is amazing, even though it's not accurate at all, because the thing ended up looking like a platypus down the road. Uh, <laughs> but I still love Spinosaurus. I love Spinosaurus for who you are, Spinosaurus. You can be a crazy platypus croc monster, or you could be 
a theropod on land. I don't care. I love you either way. Yeah. But um, the design for the Spinosaurus is really amazing as a design. And I think if they just had a face off with the Spinosaurus and the T-Rex, uh, they didn't kill off the T-Rex because, again, you could tell Joe Johnson was so busy about, well, I want to show a big, a bigger, badder dinosaur. And anytime you show a bigger, badder dinosaur, T-Rex just ends up becoming cannon fodder because it's kind of like the bar set. Like, well, how dangerous is this? Well, this dinosaur is so dangerous it could fight a T-Rex. Okay, so let's put that scene in the movie. <laughs> you know, that's kind of all, all the thought that goes into it. Um but if they just kind of included the ty uh, the Spinosaurus on the river scene, because originally the Spinosaurus was supposed to be the Baryonyx, um, I think JP3 would have had much more acceptance back in 2001 when it was released, uh, because people loved these movies. You established Tyrannosaurus as not only a, a, a predator, but a, a, a family-oriented animal, a, a, a social animal. And then you get this fan favorite character that you love and you just kind of Game of Thrones it and the third movie and now everybody's pissed. And all the studios are like, well, why are you pissed? You got a new dinosaur. And it's like, yeah, but, but you're wrapped it in, in, in this traumatic scene of everything we loved. Like, we don't want the new dinosaur because this is how you presented it. So you said uh, how Jurassic Park was this... Um beautiful land of dreams and then the lost world comes in <laughs> and every goth is having a party so how about those designs how does that change uh jurassic world um it um or did you say jurassic world or the lost world the lost world but if you want to talk about jw you go for it <laughs> okay no no the lost world uh because I, i definitely want to stay on subject um it it was Uh, it expanded the world, obviously. Like it, a lot of dinosaurs that were cut from the film made it into the Lost World. Uh, the baby trike that was cut from the film made it into the Lost World. The baby Stegosaurus, who was originally going to be the baby trike with the Lex scene that was cut, also made it into the Lost World. Uh, the Stegosaurus, uh, even Spielberg admitted fans wanted the Stegosaurus. So The Stegosaurus is kind of like your big Brachiosaurus scene in the first film. Uh, JP1 has the Brachiosaurus. J, uh, JP2, the Lost World, has the Stegosaurus herd. I remember watching it and just being like, you beautiful bastard, you did it again. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. I was in so much awe the first time I watched that one. Because, you know, The Lost World is still my favorite sequel. Just because all that power that you saw in the first movie, right? Those dinosaurs that, you know, they were so mighty that they simply had to escape. You could not contain them. They are already free now. And you are in their land, not the other way around. So, it yeah. Just... I... Oh, no, yeah. I mean, it, it, it was just so, it was amazing. I think even Spielberg said, because the, the technology wasn't proven. So every time they did an effect shot, they had to kind of lock the shot. Or if they couldn't lock the shot with the case of the JP Jeep chase with the T-Rex, they had to go wide and everything was CGI. So the Jeep is CGI and, the, and then the big T-Rex running after it is CGI. Um, because, and even those shots were kind of steady shots. So when Spielberg knew the technology was proven, he was like, all right, now I'm going to go nuts. Like <laughs> all this pent up director energy that I got from Jurassic Park because I couldn't do a lot of camera moves. Now, if you watch the Lost World, you'll notice that when there's an action scene, every move is, is, an, is a camera pan or a camera swoop or just jump cuts. Like he kind of went nuts. <laughs> And then oh. uh, my, my favorite scene is still the San Diego scene, but I do well, I do want to say the original scene that was scripted, I kind of wish they did that scene because the Pteranodon attack was originally supposed to be at the end of the Lost World and the raptor chase scene through the old facilities was supposed to be actually longer. Um, so there's a great storyboard sequence of Sarah Harding on a motorcycle and she's like jumping roof to roof with the raptor chasing her. 
And I'm like, that's an awesome sequence. Why didn't we get that sequence? You know? <laughs> and you know, I, I'm so glad that, and of course, you Jurassic fans, you know this because we've already done the whole reading of The Lost World uh, and discarded the script on this podcast. Uh, we didn't have a, a female co-host back at that time, but uh, one of my friends, he wanted to do the female voice so hard. They were like, okay, <laughs> go for it. Uh, so anyways, the point is that we also had that scene that was like supposed to be in the Lost World of the motorcycle going over the cliff and the raptor you know, jumping after it and uh, both of them falling off the cliff. And then we have that in Dominion. So there was still pretty cool thing the meaning i know that this latest movie has not you know done much but uh i still love it you know it's a stupid flick with uh, so many dinosaurs and characters that don't even have a relationship at all but uh there you have it your favorite porridge you know not healthy <laughs> but it is that <laughs> yeah no, I love I love Sarah Harding. I, I kind of wish of all the characters they brought back, they 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 would bring back Sarah Harding uh, because she's kind of like the unsung, like that chick did. Ellie Ellie Sattler gets a lot of credit. Uh, she ran through the forest. She got chased by raptors. She's she got the fences back up and running. But my God, Sarah Harding! Like she rescues a baby T Rex. Uh, she's living on the island alone for like a week or something. Hammond just kind of hands her a ticket, like here's Death Island, and Sarah's like, "I'll I'll be there." <laughs> like she she rescues she very much rescues Ian Malcolm out of that situation. Ian Malcolm shows up trying to be the White Knight, and Sarah Harding's like, "No, no, I got this. I'll I'll, I'll get you guys off the island." Um, mind you, she, she's not without her faults because rescuing the baby T-Rex put them all in danger. Uh, but she's still like, I mean, to have the balls to do that. I mean, like, well done, Sarah. Like they got out of that situation. Uh, and then she gets chased by raptors and then she rescues the baby T-Rex again in San Diego. So it's like, and then she's the one to actually tranquilize the T-Rex. She's the one that actually captures the buck. And that, like, she did what Roland Tembo couldn't do, you know? And it's like, yeah, Sarah's like the goat, <laughs> you know, of the Lost World. <laughs> it totally is, man. She's a keeper. You know? Yeah, she is. She right. is. <laughs> if you got to choose a GF, man, there go right there. She's special. Yeah, yeah, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I remember her saying, right, that she only did uh, the Lost World because uh, she was in this process of uh, a divorce and she needed the money, but you know she did great, uh, yeah. regardless of the motivation. I don't yeah. care about the motivation of an artist. No, uh, if Jeff Goldblum just wants to be a daddy character, yeah, go for it. You know, power to him because uh, he still is. I mean, there's a scene in the Minion where he's just showing off a bit of his chest, and Kayla's like, mm, "No, no, put that back. <laughs> Hide that." Yeah, that, that's some great uh, reference material right there. I just. It's lovely to see all of them uh, together again. And yeah. so um, you already uh, described just how much you love uh, JP3 and that the models are pretty realistic for that time. So 14 years later, and then we have uh, this new trilogy. Has Death uh, brought uh, anything new, especially the latest two movies? Because you already praised the JW. So anything for Fallen Kingdom and Dominion? Um, I mean, it's it's tough. I, I try to find <laughs> silver lining in Dominion. Um, I've yet to get there. I'm trying to get there spiritually. Uh, I'm, I'm searching my soul. Um, I think, I think at that point we were all just done. Like I, I think after the first two films, we kind of saw the writing on the wall where everything was headed. Um, it very much just copy paste the same story, like. They got to escape from dinosaurs. And then there's a hybrid in the end. And then the second film comes and it's like, they got to escape from dinosaurs and a volcano. And there's a hybrid in the end. And then they get to the final film and it's like, all right, they got to capture all the dinosaurs to escape from the dinosaurs. And there's a hybrid looking uh, Giganotosaurus at the end. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know? yeah. I'd say if, if I had to pick one animal I liked that was included, 
and it's probably the Quetzalcoatlus. That was a fun one. I kind of wish that scene was longer, to be honest. I kind of wish the airplane standoff with the Quetzalcoatlus was longer. Uh, the only issue is, again, it's it's not accurate because there's no animal that can fly faster than a plane, even if it's a pterosaur or not. Um, so the fact that Quetzalcoatl is captured, catches up to this big Boeing looking plane when it's going pretty darn fast, it's like, you're like, okay, well, I'm, I can dispel my belief for that long, at least, uh, because it was a fun design. The Quetzalcoatl was a fun design. Um, I'm trying to think of what other animal in Dominion. There's not many. No. <laughs> well, there is the Microceratus, right? That's a new one uh, for the movies. Yeah. Right. And uh, I, I love the Microceratus in the book, especially because it, they are just like a tiny little parrots, you know, wandering on the, on the trees and uh, annoying the Tyrannosaurus. But in this movie, they look so unrealistic. They look yeah. like what they are, which are robots. Yeah. It, so, it, it it hurt me because I think that's the last shot in the film, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's Macy as a grown-up with this like obvious puppet. And it's like you're looking at it and it's like you you don't you kind of question if the effects company even tried. Like, because it wasn't legacy effects that worked on that thing. It was this other company in England. Uh, who ironically did all the visual effects for all the Star Wars films. So it's like, well, where was all that love when it came to this like tiny puppet? That looks like a puppet. <laughs> as they wanted to go back to the original Star Wars, eh? Yeah, yeah I guess. <laughs> <laughs> like they missed the mark by 20 years because Star Wars started in the 70s, I believe. Um, <laughs> and then Jurassic Park was in the 90s. It's like, guys, like bump up your tradecraft a little bit, man. Like, Come on! <laughs> you know, I'm also a huge fan of like the the Tremors franchise, which are oh yeah, <laughs> obviously puppets. You know, like uh, those tentacles there when we were kids, they used to be so scary. Now you see that they are just like people with their hands going like this. Yeah, a hand puppet. Or... <laughs> yeah, but these two look more realistic than those Microceratus, are. <laughs> I mean, I think if Microceratus was a hand puppet, it probably would have looked better. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Like there's something about like overthinking a simple execution of a visual effect. Sometimes the hand puppet does the job. <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. Oh God, that's just so depressing. So for the future, let's try and be positive about this. Anything positive about the future of this franchise? What do you want from now on? Um, I I think I think as a fan. And it's sad because with the 30th anniversary, I'm kind of getting up in age myself. I'm in my late 30s. And um, I know within, by the time we get to the 35th anniversary, I'll be in my 40s. And then when we get to the 40th anniversary, I'm going to be in my 50s. And I think I would have, I, I personally uh, will have moved on at this point. Like Jurassic World was the, window in time to kind of recapture the good favor of all the Gen Xers and all the Gen Yers, all of us that grew up in the 80s and the 90s, and it dropped the ball. And so from someone who's sadly the demographic that was kind of sacrificed to get all these weird movies out, I'm at a point where I'm like, like, to keep the healthy relationship, I'm talking about this like I'm in a relationship with these movies. To keep our healthy relationship and remain friends, I kind of need a break. You know, <laughs> like I think we need a healthy break. I don't want to reboot. Definitely do not want to reboot. You can't, it's like rebooting Jaws. Uh, you can't reboot perfection. Um and um I I, I people have toted a prequel. Um I, I don't think we need a prequel, honestly. I, I think if there is nuggets left in the Jurassic Park franchise, I think it's not moving forward with this new timeline because uh, I'm kind of done. I think a lot of us are just done with this timeline. Um, I think it's just kind of referencing back the stuff that made it work. Like, I cite Trespasser a lot because I love Trespasser as a concept. Um, and I played the old game on... PC with all the bugs 
but the 90s was part of like that kind of hacker generation we learned about like http coding and stuff when we were kids because we had to um and so the reason why i think trespasser works is because it goes back to these concepts we didn't really explore like what happened when everybody had to do a mass evacuation from site b that's a pretty interesting story and trespasser kind of touches up on that and it also touches up on like dennis nerdry building the supercomputer to break down the dna code for the first time you, you get to see the computer uh hammond notes that there were early spies from biosyn sent to engine during site b and you find the corpse of one kind of tucked away in a dam um so there's all these fun little stories that i think are there and i think that's what needs to be explored like you could even go back to the original timeline of jurassic park and instead of following hammond and the core character, as we know, you could you could follow the employees of Jurassic Park that are stuck on this island trying to escape the hurricane when all the fences go down. That's a really thrilling story. Um, so there's nuggets there. Again, I'd say if I, if I want one thing moving forward, if the studios go forward with any of these nuggets, it's um, get get the original team back. Get the Stan Winston Studios to work on the day. These guys in England had their chance. They blew it. I, I don't want them back. Get the core artists from here, Hollywood, back on that team because it just looks better. Like the Raptors from 2001 look better than Blue does in 2022, I think is when Dominion came out. I mean, every like, single one of them <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and it just blows my mind. It's like, how do these Raptors, even the CGI looks better. Um, ILM noted that that Jurassic Park 3, they finally perfected the tradecraft of like blending the, the computer-generated imagery with the animatronics imagery. And it is very seamless. Like that whole scene where the Raptors are chasing Grant and, and company into the lab through the herd of hadrosaurs, both shots look amazing. Those raptors move amazing. And then you go to Jurassic World and you watch Blue and Delta and Echo. And they have this weird little like wobbly run to them. And I'm like, what happened? Like, you guys were, were like, let me see, 2001 to 2014. That's like what? 14 years, maybe yeah. 13 years of technological advancement in the in the special effects industry and this is the best you could do like <laughs> like come on <laughs> so yeah i'd say i'd say if if anything like even if the story is garbage if they choose to do it which they might anyways because hollywood's hollywood um just make it look better that's all i really <laughs> ask just just make it look good if anything at least i can get on board with dinosaurs that look nice you know sure. <laughs> you know i've suggested here a uh, live action and i i never wanted anything because you know i've heard people mentioning de-aging the characters that we have uh, and i don't no. want that for god's sake no no what you mentioned is a pretty interesting idea right uh, having like the side characters those that were never shown even and then maybe you know in the distance we see the explorers like the jeeps going by and uh, from the original movie and then we see some uh walkers that have to do with the uh, the raptors escaping because uh, we gotta remember not everyone fled the island immediately so we have oh. all those death and what hammond said about these specific number of people dying i mean hammond has lied so many times why would you guys be surprised if he would lie one more time right and yeah. you know maybe if we gotta go to in the future specifically Maybe have like this isolated city because now dinosaurs are all around the globe, right? This isolated little town village that is being terrorized by uh, a hoopia, right? A uh, a raptor, just like in the original novel. Make it happen, you know? Just like this. Make it scary. Make it look real, just like you want it. I think it's I think it's interesting, but at the same time, I think um, I think Colin Trevorrow failed to recognize what made. The Jurassic Park films work. Yeah. Um, in the 90s, there was this concept of a fantastical ideal 
that was under certain circumstances that if that ideal happened in the real world, the general public wouldn't know it. But the event still, it's kind of the concept of like, if a tree falls in the woods, does it really, do you really hear, if you hear it, or if you don't hear it, does it happen? And Jurassic Park, Hammond building the park on the island was kind of that tree falling in the woods. The people on the island know it happened. The people on the mainland don't. And then uh, when people in, I believe, Costa Rica start getting attacked by dinosaurs randomly, it's kind of that like echo thing. It's like there's that mystery of like, well, what's attacking the people on the mainland? Oh, this crazy rich guy built an island full of dinosaurs. Okay. Um, and I think that's what that's what kind of helped the mystery stick with Jurassic Park. Um, when Colin did Jurassic World, uh, which that funny meme you guys shared on your Instagram, I loved it with it with the meeting pitch for Jurassic Park. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like go bigger, a state, go bigger, a country, Jurassic World. <laughs> and um I think that's why I think that's why it doesn't work. It's because they went too big with it. Like there's no longer a pocket universe of like this could happen and we would never know it. Now it's like, well, if Jurassic World happens, everyone knows it and it didn't happen. So it kind of adds to that failure to to dismiss your disbelief. Because that was the that was the thing. It's like this little pocket scenario might happen. And we would never know. And that's kind of a cool mystery to it. But when you get to like Jurassic World and Jurassic Wars and whatever comes down the world, it's like, well, okay, then yeah, like obviously it's a worldwide event. Of course, we're going to know it didn't happen because we're sitting here in a theater. And I think that's the failure of the studios to kind of recognize like, I think Jurassic Park needs to remain a pocket universe, like something that's isolated you know here's 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 an idea that we're kind of bouncing around because we we wrote a fan novel back in 2021 uh called jurassic park chaos and uh, we talk about all this stuff that happens with uh viruses you know like if if not not the i forget what it's called the dx virus that was engineered in the dinosaurs by Wu, um but we talk about like, well, if you raise an animal from extinction, do you also raise its pathogens back from the dead? And we kind of go into this like Cretaceous based virus that starts running nuts. Um, and the reason why biosyn gets involved, it's because it's for the bioweapons trade. They're, they're oh. developing bioweapons from this Cretaceous era virus strain. So we have Ian Malcolm's son that gets involved and the only reason he's involved because we have to try to find a reason other than well he's E.M. Malcolm's son let's just put him <laughs> in a story uh so we have him working for the CDC uh he has nothing to do with dinosaurs he works for the CDC he's a savant like his dad he's good in mathematics and he ends up getting pulled into this this mission because he his father was on the island and he just so happens to work for the CDC so we try to justify why these characters are going back. And it's the one thing we didn't explore, and we're looking about exploring it, is the Cinco Muertes. There's five islands. We've explored two. What happened to the other three islands? And that, I think, is a much more interesting story. Like, just explore. You got three whole islands, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, that'd, that'd be great, you know, and that's over the whole problem that you mentioned, right, about uh, having to be secluded. Right? And I see that because for that story that I just described here to happen, believably, you'd have to get rid of all the means of communication and go for a truly like a bizarre place where no one has a cell phone or something like that. Maybe some cities in the countryside, Brazil, because that's how it is. Um, <laughs> And I see what you mean because, like, uh, we have already published a, a novel here, and you got to deal with a specific problem. You know, nowadays it's so easy for you to actually solve a problem by, you know, having a gun or just calling the authorities. So there were so many loopholes that I had to create in this story to make it believable. So, yeah, it would be a truly disturbing, like, the level of uh, changes that you have to make to the story to make it believable. But the other three murders, right? They are right there. Yeah. Just make it happen. 
Yeah. And that's the thing, like Hammond's already proven that he and it's in the book and it's very interesting because they touched on a bit with the Jurassic Park chaos effect toy line. Um, the book notes that they did have mutations. It, it, there's a scene in the book where uh, uh, Tim is with the with the group being uh, toured through the labs and he notices a door and he notices there's a really cool scientific name. And it, and in the scientific name, it, it, there's a there's a label that marks mutations. And he even sits there and recognizes, like, this is the lab where all the monsters grew. Because cloning is not a perfected art. You, you get a lot of you get a lot of failures. What happens to those failures? What happens to those mutations? And so one of the ideas we had was like maybe one of the Cinco Muertes is a quarantine island for the mutations. And they're they're still there, you know. <laughs> Good. That'd be great. And you know, mutations are something so much more fascinating than hybrids, all right? I'd love to see yeah. mutations, you know. I, of course, there is like the three-headed Tyrannosaurus that could be included in both if you change the, the story just a little bit. But uh, <laughs> oh boy, there you have it. So just for the conclusion here, uh, let me ask you. So this um, fan novel that you wrote, is that available for us anywhere? Yeah, yeah. In fact, here, let me send you the link here because uh, we're in the chat. Um so let me find it. I'm going to Facebook and it's on one of our main little areas. Uh, let me see here. Is it in my about? Oh, there so, it is. Okay. By the way, why you search uh so you guys then meme that Joshua mentioned that was uh, original published by Prehistoric Park, just to give the uh, do credits right there. And it's a blaster. So go check Prehistoric Park on Instagram and you have uh, so much fun. And here you have the link as well. So the link to this fan novel will also be in the description down below, you guys. So go check it out because uh, I'm just so interested in reading it as soon as possible. Oh, man. This would be great. Yeah. And then we, we also got a fun, like a bunch of guest uh, artists that helped because uh, we sketched. Uh, there's some of my art, uh, but also Aram did some art for this uh yaros uh who did art for uh the jurassic world um dpg sites uh also uh contributed to the novel as far as uh, one or two illustrations uh so it was definitely like a community that came together and we just decided like well let's just do our own sequel to the film i think we did this shortly after fallen kingdom came out <laughs> oh yeah, because uh, we felt the necessity of something different. <laughs> yeah, and then for people who like Jurassic World, I, I will say that this this novel is very much a pocket universe event. So, and we do leave like one or two Lost World East, the Jurassic World uh, Easter eggs. So, reading this novel doesn't undo everything in Jurassic World. So, if you if we have fans that love Jurassic World, you can read this novel and not worry about us bashing on that film franchise. <laughs> sure. um, this is very much something for all fans to enjoy, because uh, I feel like that's a lot of apprehension. People think they're going to read this novel from us, and we've been very critical about stuff, and they just don't want to read it because it's like, well, it's just going to bash on everything I like, and it's like, no, 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 it, it's. It's its own self-contained thing. So feel free to enjoy it. <laughs> there you have it. All right, mate. So uh, where can people find you as well and the whole walk that you do? Um, yeah. So uh, as far as our organization, we're on Facebook and Instagram. I'll go ahead and show the, um, send the link to that right there. That's the great thing about Zoom. I can send links. I love it. Uh, so we're on Facebook as JPX. Uh, so that's our Facebook page. Everything we do is kind of updated on that page. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram. Instagram actually hosts the majority of our interviews with uh, paleontologists, Jurassic Park enthusiasts, Jurassic Park artists. Uh, we have another industry artist that worked on the franchise that we have lined up for an interview next week. Uh, that's how we're going to wrap up Jurassic June. And then... Um, as far as me personally, I, I, I have an IMDb page, so you could just look me up on IMDb. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. I'm guys. just curious on what I worked on or what. <laughs> yeah. So those are three links will be in the description down below. Right? Go check out everything that these guys have been doing. You know, I, I just love your page. You know, I, I've been uh, seeing the posts and especially the interviews. The interview that you had uh, with Emily, by the way, I guess that's the one where I heard your opinion on Dominion. So, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I do remember a few details about your personality. <laughs> there you go. Man. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because like we, we've known each other. So we've, that's like a casual chat, <laughs> which I tell people like our interviews are more like water cooler talk. Like yeah. it's talking amongst friends. And I think that's why they appeal so much to people because we don't have a set vendetta. Um, we do question approval ahead of time just as a courtesy, because I used to do professional interviews back in the day. Um, but like with me and Aram or me and Yaros or me and, and any number of people, Rob, like we've been friends for so long and we've been through so much that we just kind of casually uh, let down our hair to, so to speak, and just kind of just chuckle about whatever, like, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just a perfect environment for interviews no? i absolutely love that all right guys so that was it for today a great interview for us i believe this is the last episode we'll be publishing this month may just have a look at the calendar yeah it is so great wow. way great way to finish jurassic month huh there you have it <laughs> so thank you guys so much for listening thank you josh for coming in with us this week and you guys keep going for this call we'll be seeing you next week Later, man.